Hi, welcome to Creatoring, a bi-weekly podcast where we will discuss issues important to the creative community, but with way less respect than they deserve. We'll probably end up just talking about pop culture shit and doing weird improv. Probably will end up being a little more sincere than that, but it's not Daniel and I's fault. It's the guest. So, I'm Zach. And I'm still Daniel. How are you doing, man? You know, life is, is life. The air is still in my lungs, and we're still on a mode of dust suspended and a beam of starlight, so... Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations to all of us. We're really doing it. We're really <laughs> doing it. I don't know how well we're doing it, but we're doing it. Uh, it's, all very, it's all very complex, you know? Until the ice melts, and we are underwater. Or above Hopefully water. before the sun explodes. Yeah, well, we still have another 8.5 billion years on that, so we're, we're good. But, but, uh, I think it's, yeah, we're like over 700,000 years overdue for an extinction event, so. Woo, bring you know, it on. Sleep comfortably knowing that. Speaking of extinction events, today we're going to talk about minimalism. Minimalism. Did I say that right? Events. I think so. That's I think a you weird have to, word. You have to say it with a Swedish accent. I'm not going to try to do that. <laughs> That's fine. Just Sometimes when I try to do a Swedish or European accent, it ends up sounding like I'm talking backwards, like the man from the other side in Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. So, like if she you were She is to... full of secrets. <laughs> See? Like that. Just a little fun note. You can do that on Snapchat. Uh, what? Yeah, we we were trying to do that the other day. If you say something in Snapchat, then use the reverse filter, then write down what the reverse filter sounds like, then say that forwards in Snapchat, then reverse that, then that's your Twin Peaks filter right there. Okay? Oh, wow. I wanted Sna- to do that. Snapchat, I'm giving you ideas. <laughs> Take them. <laughs> Twin Peaks filter. Hurry up before David Lynch comes and shuts you down forever. Oh, that would be so hey. wonderful. You know who we should talk to about minimalism? Who? Who's Bethany the... Heck. What greater person could we talk to about minimalism versus the complexities of design? Than hey, everybody Baxter. who's writing us an email right now telling us who else we could talk to about minimalism, go ahead and shove it because we <clears throat> don't care. Yeah, and shove it hard. <laughs> I don't care where you shove it, but in the trash. That's how computers work. If you want. Because we did talk to Bethany Heck. We did. And what a conversation it was, folks. Uh, You know, the peaks and troughs of emotions that uh, we go through in this episode, I would liken it to the first episode of season three of Twin Peaks. Is that the third or fourth Twin Peaks reference? Is that the one where Dale Cooper just throws up cream corn everywhere? Spoiler alert. That's episode three. And okay. that's <laughs> Dougie shit. I forgot his last name, but it doesn't no, we matter. Want to, no. uh, la, la. Uh, we'll save that for the Twin Peaks podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you know anyone who is a design student, wants to be a design student, knows another design student, share this episode with them. 
or if you're just going through some sort of crisis in your design career and need an extra kick in the ass or need to be <laughs> reaffirmed that the issues you think are singular to you uh, are actually universal to the design community, give it a listen. Well, so here it is, our conversation with Bethany Heck about minimalism versus complexity. Enjoy. That was enjoy backwards. <laughs> that was too many syllables. Um, I don't know what any of this means. Brian Yawn asked, should designers have batting averages or earned run averages? If so, what would it be called and how much self-loathing would this cause? Oh my goodness. Um, the mathematics involved in making that and making that, that translation. Uh, yeah. I mean, we could, I could use the score books to keep track of, well, you know, <laughs> it's not really so much suited for, if you're talking about batting average and earn run, uh, uh, ERA is being the sort of equivalent scorebooks, not the, not sco the scorebooks more of like the like shorthand storytelling of the events on the diamond and uh, the stats are sort of the like, it's a way of just regarding an individual person's performance. So they're not, they like, you can, you wouldn't like use a scorebook to like calculate that. So um, I don't know. Who's making it? You, the the problem with that is that who's making the objective uh, the decisions on what's a hit and what's when did you strike out and what's a walk? I'm sure, and... not the client. Am I right? No. <laughs> There's no applause. No. That's... Fake laughter here. Don't use that laugh track again. God, the, yeah, the mechanics and difficulties and like baseball especially is one of those things. Like, I just want to watch the game. When I when I do want to like you know watch a game, but then you have like those diehard fans that I mean, much like you, like you know you follow like averages and you follow statistics, and it almost becomes like an RPG. That's the only thing I can relate it to. Sorry, I was super nerd. And they're just like Final Fantasy VIII characters at the end of the day, and you like <laughs> see like stats evolve and go down. It's like oh man, well my favorite player has you know fifty magic and thirty five vitality, and yeah, <laughs> stuff gets crazy, man. Yeah. Hit points, that's a that, uh, that's a common denominator between both uh, baseball and, and RPGs, so yeah. that's good. <laughs> um, I mean, it, that's, that's the sort of the correlation there between the, like, RPG-type stats and, and baseball characters has definitely been made before because there's, there's definitely some correlation in terms of how you evaluate a baseball player versus how you would evaluate, you know, some little dude in your, your party of four. At what point do they get the ultimate weapons? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. That'd be great. Like if you saw your batter come out to plate and they're just <laughs> holding like a morning star or something or yeah, like a, like a Excalibur type setup. Yeah, there should be like arena baseball where, you know, you're, you're, you're the, but the balls and bats and gloves and everything else can sort of be whatever players could be spiked up in full contact, like at the bases, like you could get pretty crazy. Give it 20 years. 
you know, give it 20 years. I'm sure we're going to be seeing that. <laughs> you know how Allen Iverson and a bunch of other people are coming together to start big three, like the new basketball league where they'll go around. It's three on three basketball. I just love to see like a street ball pick up baseball league that just toured the country. Just like a bunch of little ragtag middle schoolers that are leveling up. <laughs> it is <laughs> trying to defeat the giant so they can get the ultimate weapon and I, make it to the majors. Maybe. God, I smell we'll call it Sandlot. A... Yeah, God, that's exactly what I was about to say. Jesus. <laughs> Same wavelength. They really do need to do a Sandlot reboot. Um, you know, if you ask me. Um, CGI dog and all. <laughs> so... <laughs> Today's topic, we'll get into 15 minutes into the episode here. Um, what are we dealing with? <laughs> Speaking of complexities versus minimalism um, and the standard vanilla baseball game and then baseball with weapon-wielding players, uh, yeah, wanted to talk a little bit about that. I mean, it's kind of like... I feel since the beginning of artistic time, like the battle between good and evil, uh, it's always been like this minimal style and, you know, one that's more ostentatious and sort of bred out of complexities and things that are very ornate and not saying like one's better than the other. I mean, both have their own applications, um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I guess, it's kind of a, especially a hot topic now since like the age of everything being digital and apps having their sexy, sweet, white everything and black, black text for everything. Um, I don't know. I'll try to leave my personal beliefs out of it, at least for now. Um, Give it yeah. like three minutes. <laughs> Zach, just, I thought it was interesting that you chose this topic because um, I don't know if anybody would ever describe my work as being minimalist. But like, I'm the one. I'm the one who's telling. You, <laughs> the one who's like, use all the typefaces. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I feel like you're kind of an interesting case, though, where your work sits on the fringe of both. Where, yeah, it's complex in one way, where you use like numerous typefaces. And, you know, there's like overlapping and, you know, color altering and whatnot, but also you do it in a way where your compositions are like, of course they're that way. Like they couldn't be any other way. And in that sense, they're sort of minimal. And the sense that like, if you added one more thing, I feel it's like, oh, it's all going to fall apart. It's like Jenga, you know, um, has just the right amount of blocks. Yeah, I think that we maybe uh, designers are kind of guilty of maybe thinking of minimalism just in terms of a, a very specific aesthetic instead of the actual concept of minimalism, which is, you know, no, no more than necessary. Most people think of minimalism as I'm using Helvetica and I'm using a grid. And <laughs> if I'm, if I'm using, if I'm as audacious as to use an illustration, it's based on geometric forms and, you know, basic colors and uh and that's sort of the the sort of when you say minimalism in design that's that's the thing that pops into everybody's head right but um i think that i think that there are a lot of things that sort of encompass that that idea of you know this this used the right amount of elements that it needed or you know the right 
this is the right thing for the job and and nothing and nothing more uh that don't have that aesthetic at all um so i guess it's like it's more of a um it, minimalism is like a philosophy but most of the time when designers talk about it they're talking about a, a an aesthetic and they're not the same thing yeah no very i i guess i haven't really thought about that way but it's like it's very well said especially when it comes to illustration um because you know minimal illustration of course it's yeah it's like very geometric and um very like minimal on like you know uh colors and you know angles and whatnot but i've i've encountered like different types of designers um where you know one type always wants to pair like an illustration with content and the other type is like oh only photography should pair with content um and then your other ones are like no text only content should speak for itself no visuals and it's like nobody's right in this game but all of them kind of claim to be minimalists in the way that they approach um, putting things together. And yeah, I don't think it's like, I want to make a religion uh, analogy here so badly, but I don't want to like piss off uh, a lot of people actually, but basically you can do one thing five different ways and it can be the same concept and you're still, I guess, uh, executing on that concept. Um, but yeah, I'll have a, Definitely. definitely yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think that it's important for us as designers, we often forget too that, you know, the, the kind of idea of what is and isn't minimal has changed a lot throughout history. Uh, you know, when Beatrice Ward wrote about the crystal goblet, she probably wasn't thinking about Helvetica. She was probably thinking about, you know, some <laughs> book serif um, that was in vogue at the time. Um, but that's, that's a, that's something that I, go into in my multi-typeface talk is this idea of like we we tend to think of things as like this object is a thing and everything that you add to the design is is making it more more maximalist or pulling it away from minimalism but if in the if by the addition of that thing you actually make the purpose of the design uh, if you make it more effective so if by adding a second typeface to a design for an example you can make the sort of organization hierarchy and the purpose of the words that somebody is looking at uh more self-evident then you have actually done done well like that's that's not like bad moving away from minimalism or anything else you're still being minimalist because you're still not adding anything that isn't in service uh to your ultimate goal um, but a lot of the designers design things without a goal in mind now anyways. So <laughs> trying to have a conversation with a lot of folks about that kind of stuff just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Well, well said. I, I definitely fall into the school of uh, no goal design <laughs> more often than not. It's like you start with one thing and then yeah, too many cooks in the kitchen situations where goals change five to six to 10 to 100 times during a project and nobody really knows what the goal is at the end of the day. And yeah, the fact that like huge companies can pump out what can be considered minimal design is just astounding to me. It really is. Like, I think that's one of the highest accomplishments of some of the bigger tech companies. Like I look at products like Slack and knowing they have massive teams that work on it and it's like such a complex product, but so simple and sexy, but uh, you can still customize it. You know, you can still deck out your, um, you know, like your UI colors and whatnot. Um, so, and saturate it with as many gifts as possible. 
which is also good. But yeah, like so the, Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead, please. No, sir. I was um Do you guys remember skeuomorphism? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the pen, so this time that we're in now with design trends and design thought almost felt inevitable when skeuomorphism began to die when Apple began to remove stuff, Microsoft began to, we don't need to make this calendar app actually look like a calendar app on your desk. <laughs> and the pendulum sung so far to the other side that we didn't even need lines on calendars. We didn't, it, we, you know, we went to the blank space with this little, are we going back the other way? Or are we in the middle right now? Um, I, I mean, there's been a reaction against flat design going on for a long time. And skeuomorphism, while seeming it seems outdated and silly to a lot of us now, like the if you're talking about a user experience perspective, it had a lot of it had a lot of value in terms of like mm-hmm. you were not going to mistake a button in that aqua awful like Apple style. <laughs> to, it was never going to be confused as anything other than oh that is a button, which means it is a thing that when I click on it, something will happen. It was a comfort uh, level. It got people into no seriously. I think it got it got a generation who was getting first into computers and technology comfortable with what they were doing. Yeah, it held on a little bit too long, but it served a purpose. Well, th- I was struggling to think like I mean, I thought that skeuomorphism maybe was a little ahead of its time when it was in existence, but I guess that's sort of perfect. Like if you don't. If it originally didn't make buttons actually look like physical buttons, people wouldn't know. And like we had to achieve that look first before we could step back and be like, okay, no shadow, no gradient, no nothing. You know it's a button now. It's a colored rectangle with some text in it. But don't forget a drop shadow. Don't forget to have a drop all shadow. of the drop shadows, put make it look like a shelf while you're at it. Um, <laughs> but with sort of the rise of, of VR and augmented reality here in the next few years, I think we're going to go like back to skeuomorphism, but in a sense that like things actually are as they seem, you know, if you have some sort of VR headset on, like if you see a chair or if you see a shelf with books on it, it actually is a shelf with books on it that you can interact with and go around. Um, I myself will not be participating in any VR. I would rather live in a cave. But for everyone else uh, who's who's into that, yeah. I we think... already live in a computer simulation. You do not need to put yourself into another one. <sighs> I didn't realize we were... Ta- I was talking to Elon Musk in here. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks that we're living in a computer simulation, too. Man, I, I have to, like... Uh, and I'm not going to censor myself because I just don't care anymore. Um, I honestly go through those periods, though. Like, I'll everything will be fine. And then I'll watch an episode of Cosmos. And I'm like, no, no, this is engineered. This is engineered. There is no God, <laughs> but this is engineered somehow. There's There's got to be a way. And then I won't watch Cosmos for six months. And It's the owls. The owls are not what they seem. They're not what they seem. The owls are not what they seem. Uh, oh my god what are we talking about we're talking about twin peaks now welcome to our new twin peaks (laughs) Uh, twin p 
Peaks cast. I am just trying to get caught up with Twin Peaks because I avoided it, and I don't know what I've gotten myself into because oh, I to just, say oh, that it's weird t- is is the biggest understatement. <laughs> oh, it's taken you now. It's taken hold of you. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I'm sort of forcing my way through it. Um, <laughs> you'll start thinking about it though, like when you you'll wake up in cold sweats. Uh, It'll happen. It, admittedly, it took me like three times to get through the, the pilot, the first episode, uh, because it was the most depressing thing that I'd ever seen in my life up until that point. And there's just like lots of crying and screaming and gloominess. And later in life, I would find that that, uh, that tone would be quite apt um, for the life I was living. But yeah, it's wait till you get to the new season, Bethany. Just wait till you get to it. Totally worth it. I'm very scared. Uh... Be scared. (laughs) Um, So I have a question from uh, a Christina. No last name here. Um, But in your work, what do you find harder to accomplish? Uh, Minimal design or something that's uh, a little more weighted in complexity? For me, if if we're talking about minimal, the aesthetic... It's definitely, yeah. that's definitely harder for me because that I tend to be I, I, like, it's not stimulating to me. Um, yeah. I, I even like back to my student work have always thrown as much shit on the page uh, as I can <laughs> uh, and just like wait for somebody to make me stop, um, which is, and I'm, I'm a hoarder in real life too, like at like, if you could see my apartment, there's a bunch of just stuff in it. And I like to collect, you know, if, if there's something that I like, I want to collect it. I collect typefaces, I collect baseball cards, I collect all kinds of things. I collect clothes now, I collect jackets, um, which is dangerous. So your, your hoarding uh, issue is both is, is reflected in your design by hoarding visuals and a, uh, and a composition. Yeah, because I think that there's... I think that part of that sort of collector spirit is sort of this like looking for minute details and things that that set things apart and make them special. And so there's there's just there's that that what comes from that is a desire to imitate and recreate things that I've seen that I like and um, just wanting to try to expel as much. Uh, creative inspiration as I have surrounding something uh, into a project uh, as possible. There's been several times where I've tried to do something where it's just like, okay, I'm going to make myself do some some Swiss here, and I usually end up adding a bunch of shit to it. And I'm like, no, we got to have badges. We <laughs> have some badges. Um, or, you know, just adding in some typefaces that, that don't really make sense um, for the aesthetic um, because I just really want to use the typeface or something or I just really want to try to do um, something different. Um, so, yeah, the, the keeping things like what, what other people would define as probably minimal uh, is definitely uh, the harder thing for me because that's not always interesting. I almost always start with something that's, that's overblown and strip it back what, rather than starting with something that I'm okay with and then... Because when I'm when I think something's like when I think something's like reached like it's it's point where I'm satisfied with it I drop it I want to get something done and I'm like okay look I did, did, I birthed it it's done and I leave it I don't want to touch it again 
Can you wrap that into some sort of like manifesto and shout it from the rooftops in San Francisco somewhere? Uh, I, no, you like put things into words that I, I think I've been trying to, to, to find. I'm kind of the same way, whereas I love to put a lot of love into work, like whether that be in ornamentation or like textures or some sort of visual or something. I am very much of the mind of like putting a lot into work and it's like until there's somebody tapping their foot or breathing heavily down the back of my neck and they need it right then like i'm gonna work on it i'm gonna i'm just gonna work on it because it's my baby whatever it is um yeah i, I you know and it's it's almost like your work is yeah a reflection of your hobbies your hobbies being you know these highly sophisticated like you know baseball stats or your collections you know it, it's like those things are represented in your work um so I, I almost wonder like okay someone who excels in minimalism like do they just live in like a storage unit i don't <laughs> like what is what is their what is their like interior design like um i don't know i don't know I can't go too deep into that thought process, but no, some people, I, I think that, that that some people definitely reflect that. Like, I mean, most people who, uh, who design like kinfolk, like want to have interior, it's because they have interior designs that look like kinfolk. Uh, <laughs> people fall in love with certain aesthetics and that translates both into like how they dress and how they want their, their living spaces to look like and their like actual, uh, design. I think the only pro, like, I, I think it's awesome that everybody has like so many different tastes. The problem comes when like people start to subscribe, like prescribe like objective value to like one aesthetic over another, uh, which gets dangerous and it happens a lot. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think that there are like certain applications where like, yes, so, like subjectively minimalism excels in app design. Uh, for example, like you can't have like a crazy, um, highly or heavily designed, um, ornamented, you know, app that just, it doesn't work well. Like I think both people from the school of thought of, you know, complex design versus minimal design can agree on that. But then you have things like posters and it always cracks me up, uh, when, you know, I'll be on like Pinterest or something looking for some inspiration and I'll just see like, you know, this poster that just has like three words on it and it's great i mean those are powerful three words maybe but i just like ache to do something else with it because it's like some words and then some lines and and that's it so i think like with print design um on a personal note like i think the more complex the better i mean it just looks good it's pleasing to the eye um but yeah it's totally an environmental uh depending on like which environment you're in print versus digital, you know, maybe one might make sense for the other. Yeah. And, and I think that now, now I'm, I'm looking at my, my scorebooks and I'm thinking about that now because in some aspects, my, the, the score, the first scorebook that I did um, was, was a reaction to the scorebooks that have become popular now, uh, which are, they're big, they're, they're letter size, they're spiral bound. Um, and they're very, 
they feel like work. They're, they're very prescriptive in terms of how they expect you to keep score. So there's little boxes. They're like, okay, well, here's where you put the outs and the strikes and the balls. And here's the entire diamond with like the outfield shape and everything else. Like there's not a lot of room for creativity. It's assuming that you are going to keep score in that book, like one way. Uh, when, if you look at throughout the history of the practice, a lot of people have done it in a lot of different ways. So the actual design of the, the grid, so the practical part of the, the score uh, books that I make is very simple. Um, it's just, it's just the diamond. And there are some things even in the original that I stripped out from the half liner, which was the second, uh, larger book, uh, that I made, uh, based on feedback from folks who wanted something that was even more like straightforward. Um, so that aspect of it, you would say is minimal, like taking away things that people don't need. And you, and you could even, you could do it without a diamond at all in, in theory and just have a grid of squares and let people, you know, if they want to draw diamonds in it, they would draw diamonds. Uh, but there's other, there's aspects about the construction of it that obviously are not what anybody would consider minimal. Like uh, it's got stickers, it's got like this fold out sheet, it's got a, you know, die cut cover. Uh, it's got a pocket in the back. Like it was a, it was a engineering marvel from a like production <laughs> standpoint to get that thing made. Uh, and uh, even the half liner has like, has an embossed uh, cover and everything else. Um, so it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, it's everything that you just described and everything that's in there feels essential. Like if any one of those was missing, the book would not feel as good as it does. It wouldn't feel, I mean, it, it I'm looking at the website, but it's going back to what we're talking about skeuomorphism and you mentioned flat design. Do you think that as designers and just as a creative community that we have incorrectly labeled minimalism as flat or flat design as minimalism? Yes. Like we gotten those confused and yes. not actually. Okay. Because. Well, there you go. That was it. Thanks guys. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's a good that, episode. No, I, I think that we've <laughs> we've decided that a lack of adornment uh, and a uniformity of elements is what minimalism is, which I don't think is is mm. the the heart of of what that that concept is, because it's, again, very prescriptive. It's saying that, like, OK, to be minimal, like you can only use you need to like only use like one color and you can only use one typeface and your illustration needs to be this style. And that's not true because uh you can accomplish the goal uh, of that idea without without having that. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, every design is super trend driven, uh, and I think that we we were also like super short sighted, and we give we give we're very we're really hard on things like skeuomorphism, like when you know the first cars were designed to look like horse carriages because that was how people related to what the thing did yeah. because it was a new thing, and they're like, oh my god, what is this? machine like like there's no like this horseless carriage like you know it's like what is this uh no, it, i think you know everything has its place and its purpose and its time and if skeuomorphism is the best way to represent it then go for it i don't think that lack of ornamentation is ever the correct way to get design across but if <laughs> if you could convince me otherwise and get there then go for it like I, i'm looking at two of your designs right now and people if they go on your dribble page and look one is called We Are Hiring from uh, March of this year. And the other one is The Devil's Nose from October of last year. Um, yeah, it's 
especially the devil's nose where you use a lot of Maddox, uh, Fort foundries fonts. Uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fonts <laughs> on this piece. Plus the ornamentation. If you took away any of those, it wouldn't work. If you added more, it'd probably feel too crowded. But I think it's it's just because, like you said, you hit the place where it was right and you stopped. And um, like I think uh, the Hood Sister said, you know, take one thing out. You know, maybe get that far and then just take one more thing out. And it, same thing. Okay, the Vox, we are hiring. One, two, three, four, five <laughs> fonts and a word mark. <laughs> the only problem with this piece is you didn't use Hobo. <laughs> Other than that, you couldn't have changed anything about it. James Edmondson owes me twenty bucks now, I think, for mentioning hobo. I have I have his his cut of hobo. It's really nice. Oh, it's so good. His uh Vuff pack too. Yeah, I've got that. <sighs> yeah. He's uh, yeah. amazing. He's so talented. He and Maddox, I think if for some reason I had to limit myself to fonts from two people, it'd be those two. <laughs> Those are good people to pick from. Uh, I love Maddox and I play a lot of Destiny together. Uh, and I did some of the type specimens for uh, his uh, his monospace coding font. Yeah, native. Yeah. Uh, which was a lot of fun. There, are, there's a lot of Destiny references in that in that piece. Uh, that's the first time I was thinking about that when I did the Ishtar Collective stuff, which is like by the definition minimal. It's Helvetica. It's grid based. It's an odd number call. It, it has an odd number of columns. That's that was my moment of rebellion. It's I think it's seven columns because I just had to get cute with it. Uh, Uneven numbers. Um and um, it uh, and that's like I think that's my by far most popular dribble shot. But I don't do more stuff that's like that because <laughs> it's like it made sense for that because. Uh, that's clearly the design influence that Bungie was was tapping into when they designed that game. Like they used New Haas Grotesque, uh, which is basically it's hipster Helvetica, um, <laughs> and uh, you know they've got that sort of mid-century international like Swiss style uh, in in the aesthetic of that game. So uh, it made sense to do the website, and the the website's super text heavy, so it just it just made sense uh, for that uh, for that thing. And I, I, at one point, I think I thought about adding a second typeface to that design and decided against it because it felt like, oh, you're just doing this because you're you and you feel like you're trying to get cute. And it's like, it's the design is not served by the second typeface. So don't do it. <laughs> What's that kind of self-awareness like? <laughs> how do, how do I get to that point? <laughs> Making a lot of mistakes. Yeah, the more I think, mistakes. the more you fuck yeah. up. The more you you have to you you start to catch yourself. Yeah, but who called you on those? It feels like you called yourself out more than other people did. Oh, I mean, that's that's after a lot of a lot of times of having like life. Are you sure you don't drink out. alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. You sound like you might drink alcohol. <laughs> It'll help you forget some of those if you need to. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a surefire way to bring out those uh, your your worst demons for sure. <laughs> Self editing becomes way easier though. Uh, that's 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 for sure. Yeah. No. Do you I'm, want me to ask any of the questions that John asked on Twitter, Bethany? You saw those. Radajack. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, brunch club, do tell. A brunch club. I mean, we get brunch. It's good. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> What's your favorite brunch food? Oh my god, um, I couldn't pick. I don't. I don't do favorites. I, okay. I, there, I like too many different things. Um, there's a ton of good food in Seattle. I couldn't even pick a favorite genre of food. On, on the subject of restaurants, uh, have you ever done a menu before? Or is that like a bucket list item? I don't know if I have a bucket list, to be honest. But no, I don't think I've ever done a menu now that I think about it. Hmm. Okay. okay. Restaurant, like definitely as a student, like the idea of doing a, a restaurant, sort of like one of the like sort of like Mecca like things that you always want to be able to do. Like, oh, Great. there's nothing cooler than, you know, having pretty food and branding a restaurant because you you get the printed materials. You have the space that you can control. Um, it's in service of, of of something that's actually being produced. Like all, that's that's a really like wonderful uh, idea. But I've never I don't. Guys, I don't like doing branding work unless it's for myself. <gasps> Whoa. So I'm making a confession. <laughs> the truth is out. Yeah. I just hired Daniel to do all of my branding work. I have work. some real talk. Like, I, uh, yeah, I don't like doing branding work for other people. That's I don't like doing branding work for myself either. <laughs> so, like, what about, does that apply to logos as well? I mean, yes. I guess. Okay. I hate what, doing What logos. else would you use a logo for besides branding? I Fucking, hate doing I logos. Whatever. You know, your kid. I don't know. I think my that that's, I think that that ties back into like my my uh, <laughs> my inclination to go maximalist is that I don't do well it, when it's like do a poster or do like the singular element that needs to communicate something and you know you've got you don't have a lot to work with so I like doing uh, editorial design or um, mm. or websites or something where you actually have some content defined and you're actually trying to communicate like a, a set of information rather than like you know like that was when like you can compare the the, the different uh, approaches with something like uh, if you look at the fontacular posters uh, the one that that Emmerich did is this beautiful illustration of a knight and a dragon and it's it's got the the fontacular lettering and it's just mm -hmm. like it's very it's it's awesome it's this beautiful like singular like piece and mine is a bunch of like baseball cards with the the letters like uh sort of screen uh, like superimposed over some of the cards and that was because i could not think of one singular composition to handle all that and the only way that i could think of tackling like that amount of space was to put very like multiple smaller things inside of it um so like I can handle the smaller composition and not have to stress out too much about like, what is this baseball card actually saying? And just like use them in service of like, you know, the overall, the overall composition. Uh, so that's, so I, I, if there's any part of branding that work that I enjoy, it's the sort of the application, the creation of various elements and then applying them uh, to a system. I hate doing logos. <laughs> preach, preach, preach. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally feel you. Like working with brand assets that are already established and then, yeah, applying them to some sort of like print collateral or s some sort of digital environment. Yeah, way less of a struggle than actually like coming up with that branding system. And I've done a lot of branding, but I feel like it's the most painful thing to do, especially logos, because like you said, you know, it has to be this thing and by nature they're usually very minimal um and they have to communicate so much 
it's just there are people out there who are stellar at doing it and can just do it all day long. It's just two line strokes, but it's the most beautiful logo I've ever seen. I don't know how that's possible. It's maddening sometimes to even think about how you do that. But uh, yeah, I think some people, you know, it's just not for them. Every logo that I've ever done, when you take it down to 50 pixels, it's just a solid black circle because there are so <laughs> many details. Uh, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really great at making like the simple logo marks uh, either. And I turned down. I can't remember the last time I did a logo for somebody. Um, I just don't. I don't do a lot of freelance work in general anymore. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I avoid doing logos, uh, at all costs. So do you, do you do a lot of like uh, self-initiated projects, personal projects? When I feel like I need, like I need that outlet. Um, I've, I've been kind of I mean, like while we're on real talk, I've been kind of burnt out as a designer. I feel like since school, like since, since freshman year, taking intro, intro to like, you know, type and processes and, uh, classes, and just being like, oh my God, like this is exhausting. Um, so um, I like, and the way that I, but, but when I say that, I mean mostly when in terms of graphic design work. So right. I've never worked at a job as a graphic designer. I pick jobs that are like UX focused or websites or stuff that's like, there might be some visual design uh, needed, but I very much like thinking through the systems and sort of like solving problems and that very just sort of like way that, where you're, it's just like literally like you have a person who wants to be able to do this or find this information or needs to read this content and what is the best way of presenting that to them and guiding them through the experience like that is a that is a type of thinking that I'm always stimulated by um, but um, the sort of like graphic design like I'm going to do a branding or stuff like you know the devil's nose or the latigre work like that's always self-initiated um, and it usually I might only have like one spurt like that in me a year um, and then like, I haven't touched anything like outside of my day job in, in terms of design in months and I don't feel bad about it. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's smart being in a role where, yeah, you're not, you know, constantly producing visuals, but you're more on the strategy or research side of that. So when you go home, you're actually willing and able to do those things. I think a lot of designers find themselves in positions where, you know, they're either web designers or product designers during the day. And, you know, if they somehow maintain a freelance career, they're also doing that. And, you know, I've talked with a lot of very bitter designers and I think, that's why it's like if you fill your life with so much of the same thing, inevitably you're gonna, you know, your fuse is gonna, it's it's gonna go out um, one way or another. Uh, now there are some people that are just like machines, like they're just like computers, like fuck, like fucking Nick Slater, for instance. You know, it's like, buddy, this message is to you. Get some sleep, man. Get some sleep. <laughs> Uh, you know, you see people like there are a lot of people out there who are just like continually able to knock it out. And I find that it's very admirable. No, but see, if you talk to Nick, you would you would get a different perspective of, oh. of his like level of fatigue and, you know, everything else and his his perception of his own work. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's hilarious. Uh, I think it's just to talk to somebody who's like very good at something and he's just like, oh, no, I'm just, this is shit. This is not good. I've, <laughs> it's thanks. You don't mean that, but thanks. Like, all right, man. No, I think it's, <laughs> it's a design's hard. I mean, yeah. 
designers shy away from from having the categorization of being artists, but they are. It's applied art, um, yeah. and so the the hard and the and the the awful thing about it is that you're you're having to be an artist, but it's very rarely your own self-expression. You're doing it in service of someone someone else, uh, and that if the the conditions aren't perfect, which I mean life is a perfect, they rarely are. It just it it will drain on you uh, to sort of like have to you are like creating the you're birthing these things and they uh, you know sometimes they get mangled by somebody else sometimes you're not giving complete information and you like go down the wrong path and then you feel guilty about that like there's it is a lot like parenting um, and uh, it's super stressful uh, and the uh, you know that that sort of like there's a self-care aspect to uh, the industry that needs to happen that I don't think a lot of people yep. do. Yep. Com- completely. And on that note, um, I was kind of joking the other day with some people about there needing to be like some sort of designer therapy sessions uh, monthly. Uh, it's, it's like more and more, like if you're not enthusiastic about the work that you're doing, either you shouldn't be doing that work or you should be cutting back a lot. And it, especially when you have these platforms like Dribble and Instagram and Behance where seemingly everyone is able to achieve such a high talent level in such a short amount of time when in reality, that's not the case, but that's how it appears. And I think a lot of people get um, like the barrier to entry seems so high that, you know, they beat themselves up for not being able to achieve that or, you know, they just stop altogether, but it's hard for everybody. I think it's, it's very hard for everybody and, and people need to realize there's an entire lifetime to do that work and speed isn't something you need to prioritize necessarily. Um, and I think that that's something people need to communicate to clients when, you know, maybe your, your boss or maybe a freelance client needs something in a, in a week, but that thing, you know, in your heart of hearts will be perfect. If you're only given three weeks, those are conversations that need to be had rather than just being timid and accepting those, um, those rules. It's a, uh, it's, it's hard. Let's, let's do a creatoring therapy session once a, once a month. <laughs> it'll, it'll be good. We'll do. Play some yeah. soft jazz. Put Sometimes some you just on. need somebody to give you. Yeah. Thanks. I think it's really helpful in a lot of cases for folks to just have somebody to give you like a different perspective on something. Like we can get very, we can very much internalize things and not realize that like this is normal or like, look at you know it's just a lot of it's just like happiness is relative and it's a state of mind and uh it's not just like you're just gonna like go through your life and everything happened and you're just gonna be blissfully happy like it's you have to work at being happy absolutely a key component there being willingness uh yes i I think a lot of people lack the like the willingness um component to to that and expecting happiness to be something that's achievable by performing by like emulation uh, or like doing something that they see is statistically good and like emulating that. And then they don't find their happiness because, well, that work didn't come from within. It was just, I don't like to use the word copy a lot, but you know, it was like a copy. Um, are we going to talk about ripping off for the third straight? Uh, I want third, to third, third so bad. We can do it. I gave an hour and a half long talk about this at MLC Ooh. last year. Ooh, well. I sent it to Zach, but I bet he didn't look at it. <laughs> 
No, we did. I did, and I sent it to Daniel. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. Yeah, so if you had like a, a synopsis on that, because it was, it was brilliant stuff, and I think that it's something that needs to be pounded into the noggins of everybody in this industry, uh, you know, for better or for worse. But yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hand you the floor. <laughs> um, I think that... Um... I think that like designers aren't mindful enough about like the entire process of, of how they do what they do. Um, even down to looking at inspiration or, or looking at other people's designs. And I think that that's where you, you, you get copying because somebody's looking at something and they're like, I like this. And so they just like, they spit it back out. Um, and they're not, they're not thinking about, they don't see, you know, the, the metaphor that I used in the, I just used an iceberg metaphor, uh, in the talk, uh, to talk about that, that first, the, in that first section of the talk, just to, to communicate the, I like to just try to nail in the idea of like, when you see some the finished design, like there's so much experience and work, uh, and uh, restrictions and, uh, stakeholder input and everything else that went into shaping that thing the way that it does. So when you then like just bake it, take a photocopy of it, uh, and spit it back out, you've lost all of that. And I think that there's other ways of getting valuable lessons from any piece of design. Uh, but you just have to be a little bit more mindful, uh, about what you're doing and just this, like, I talk a lot in that talk about just, it's a Jared spool concept. So it's, and it's something that he, I think, even borrowed from the medical industry, this idea of, like, um, conscious competence and unconscious competence. And, like, some people are just, like, really good designers and they don't know why. And they just, you know, they can just kind of make make stuff and they can, they can, um, uh, they can imitate. Um, but it's not until you, you actually reach that point of, of being able to produce that level of work and, and be very meaningful and understand exactly why. Um, that I think that, that, you know, people really become masters, um, of their craft. Uh, and there are a lot of designers who are just, you know, sort of mindlessly, uh, looking at something and, and making the, their sort of like crappy version of it. Um, but, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not that, the, that it's bad to look. And then you have other people who are like, this looks vaguely like this thing that I've seen before and you're copying and that's awful. It's like, no, like looking at other work and looking at the world around you. Yeah. Is all of that is, is all has always been part of the craft. Um, and, um, but there is, I do think that there is a right and a wrong way to do it. Um, and it's just disappointing that, you know, there's so many people who get into this industry, which is like, it treats its designers are treated shitty by other designers. They're treated shitty by big companies. They're treated shitty by agencies. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're mistreated by everybody. They, they make no money. And then you see all these kids and like, they get really excited about like doing something that's just exactly like what somebody else is doing, or they, they spend all their time, like gnashing their teeth over how they're not as good at a certain thing as somebody else. And I'm like, <laughs> just donors, like, why are you doing this? Cause it seems to make you miserable yeah. and you're not actually interested in like adding anything to the artistic, just the, you know, the sort of artistic landscape of of anything if you're just wanting to imitate other people uh designers for all their sort of tendency to avoid things like sports and uh, other things are usually very competitive 
Um, and I think that that's what leads to like this, like imposter syndrome talk and, you know, the, 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 uh, imitation too. It's just that nobody is so is comfortable with themselves and everybody's like looking at everybody just sort of like uses their design as a way of just reflecting back everything else that they see. Um, and I don't know exactly what that says, but I don't know why people like there's, there's a lot of young designers. So I'm just like, I don't know why you're not an accountant or something because like you're, <laughs> you're just, you know, it's either what the fuck are you looking at because they're not looking at anything or they're just there. You, they've got 20 different styles in their portfolio that are by 20, like 20 designers that I can clearly identify. Uh, and it's yeah. like, well, where are you in this? Uh, I, I think it's a, la- a lazy aspect too. Cause like you mentioned, um, in the talk, there's nothing wrong with having that visceral impact. You know, it's part of why we do design work. It's part of why we strive to make good UX and good software and everything. But there's a laziness involved in not finding out that why. Because it's easy just to copy the stuff that's pretty instead of breaking down what did it impact you? How did it make you feel? What was those emotions? And then incorporating that into your experiences, your emotion, your personal story, and using that to impact it. Like your poster versus Emmerich's poster, neither one is wrong. They're both awesome, and they're both your stories and your why. It, it couldn't work the other way around. If he tried to make baseball baseball cards, they'd probably be awesome, but they wouldn't be as good as yours. And if you try to do the illustration, it'd be incredible, but it wouldn't be as good as what you made because you're just trying to do what Josh does. It, it doesn't work. There's a laziness. Like, um, okay, Nick Jones' website. <laughs> <laughs> remember nick jones's yes. design you know the new portfolio it's incredible yes but when it came out and everybody got so excited about it this is not a knock against nick because he did incredible work but i almost wish it hadn't got the response it did it only got that response because it was a pushback against everyone else's laziness people didn't want to go out and make the site that write the code for that and because he did you know, good for him. I'm glad he did and win the award. Please win all the awards and everything you can. But <laughs> everyone got excited because of what it was reflecting on them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. Um, yeah. um, oh, what am I trying to say? Um, it's, um, it shows like a really, it makes me worried about just the the self-confidence of people who do that because when you're when you're doing something like that and you're just recreating something it's basically you're saying Wait, like let's, i don't the people have the a, self-confidence people that do what let's the, be, the, the, the self-consciousness of people who who are imitating who, okay, who are yeah. very derivative in their work um it's like well you know nobody's hired if if people wanted nick slater they would hire nick slater yeah. um and if somebody's come to you it's because they want they want you, they don't want you ripping off someone else. And if somebody comes to you and says, hi, I need this thing and I'm coming to you because I think you're going to be cheap and I want something in this aesthetic, don't take that job. Because <laughs> um, it isn't worth it. Um, so yeah. I think that people have a lot. If you're, de- if you're a designer, it should be expected that you, I mean, you should, you've got to trust yourself to go your own way. Um, and I know that it's, it's, 
it's stupid for me to sit up and say that like it's something like I can just like slap somebody across the face and be like do your own thing and like that's just gonna magically make make that happen but um I do wish that um designers felt more comfortable and empowered to do that there must be external pressures that cause people to feel like they can't get away with doing that yeah 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 um and and, and I think that like I mean, just being a creative by nature, I know a lot of people don't like that word, but fuck it, I'm going to use it. Uh, being a creative by nature, it already means that you're, you know, your way of thinking is already sort of the status quo. So for you to be this unique thinker and someone who can provide a different uh, view to something, but then just to use the same visuals that are used by someone else, it's just sort of like there's a, there's a knot there. Um, and just to kind of get a message out to, to some designers, if a client ever comes to you with someone else's work and says, basically, hey, create this logo for me, but make it look like their work, um, you can do one of two things. One, you can do what they asked. Uh, I guess three things. One, you can do what they asked. Two, you can not respond to the email. Or three, give them sort of what they want, but then educate them and give them a version that's not what they asked for, something that's actually your own flavor, something that you create without looking at any inspiration, without following their guidelines, something that's pure and something that comes from you. And just to echo yeah, what you said, Bethany, like that's, that's a hard thing to tell somebody, like, just be original. It's not so hard. Just be unique. <laughs> You know, that's what they tell you in elementary school, and then that just fizzles out by the time you graduate high school and you're all jaded and bitter and listening to punk music. Yeah. Anyways, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just like they're, everyone has their own set of experiences and their backgrounds, and people have their own favorite movies. People have their own favorite comic books. They have their favorite brands of clothing, and if only everyone could inject their favorite flavors and to everything they did notably design i think we'd have a lot more varied work out there uh rather than just seeing you know two or three trends at a time um because it's scary it's scary to do your own thing um but at the end of the day if the less you can give a fuck the better quality life you're gonna live in the end um actually let me just plug a book real quick uh, Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. If you guys can just read that, just anybody, your quality of life will improve greatly. Sounds Such like a, a winner. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, we have, I mean, I think we're at time, but we have, there, there are a couple questions that I want to ask just because I think that there might be some um, good stuff to come out of this. Uh, da, da, da. Okay, so we have a question from uh, Christopher Reith, uh, Mr. Chris Reith. Uh, he asks, um, do you think there are parallels to David Carson's uh, quote-unquote fuckery in the 90s as compared... His words. His words. Uh, as compared to the brutalist trends that uh, we've been seeing around the web um, as of late? Um uh, sure, in that they're you know they're they're both reactions to you know to something. Um, the brutalist thing has has sort of been floating around at the edges for a while, so you know it's it's not it's not like something that's been driven in this case by like one specific person 
um, sort of in the same way that that Carson, you know, sort of Carson, I think, is more impactful if you're looking at like something that's that that like, I mean, Carson like changed the I mean, and I don't know if it was just Carson, but that movement of design, like it was all encompassing. If you go back and look at the typographic annuals, like before before Carson and post Carson, there is a a market difference. Um, and um, uh, one good thing about thinking about it that way is is to remind ourselves that like, okay, like designers have always been silly and very trend influenced. Um, I'm trend influenced, like their typefaces I use that because I see them somewhere else. I'm like, oh, hey, that looks fun. I'll use it. Um, I had somebody in a huge dribble argument with me over the fact that I use Apercue uh, and the, the Vox stuff that I've been doing and she was more very opposed. Uh, she was very, I guess I should use Helvetica like she uses in all of her designs. Um, Ooh. <laughs> oh, that would have been, I guess, I don't know. I said air horn. Uh, but, um, but in the other, the other thing about Carson's like fuckery, uh, was like, <laughs> he was, he was also like not aiding the sort of interpretation of, of things at all. Like he didn't care about legibility. He like said articles in wingdings and, you know, he's making a, a social statement with that too. Um, because he said that he set the, that article in wingdings because it wasn't worth reading, uh, or something like that. <laughs> but, um, the brutal, you know, I see the brutalist stuff as, as more just, uh, trying to, uh, break down some of the, you know, fluff that we've adopted, um, from mm. a user experience and just like design standpoint, uh, and trying to, I mean, I think that the brutalism is like really useful in terms of it's in a lot of ways, just sort of like presenting the wireframe of something. Uh, and it, 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 if it's done well, it will sort of expose things that we take for granted, uh, just in terms of interactions. There are a lot of things that we hide in interfaces, like even like swiping left and right for certain things that are hidden interactions. Uh, and, and, you know, in a brutalist design, you would expose those, uh, to be like actual, like visible, like text prompts or something, uh, because, uh, you're trying not to, um, you're trying to strip out the fluff. Sure. Um, so in some cases that's good because it can make you question like, oh, I, I've, I've been taking it for granted that that's like an accepted convention. Uh, is that good? Um, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, they're similar in that they're trends, but I'm not sure if the, like the core sentiment is exactly the same. Right. 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 Um, well, is it just one more thing for us to fight about as designers? <laughs> Just one more click to get into, one more crowd to try to. Do you not guys actually into. follow Design Twitter because that's bad for your health? Oh my god! I in in fact before um, bringing you on today, I was ranting to Zach about a tweet. I won't name the guy, but someone who made a very bold tweet about what designers should do. It's a certain thought leader. Um, you know, kids, people. Everybody, just because someone's considered a thought leader, just you don't have to buy into everything they're saying. Just because they're sitting on a crate at a street corner holding a sign doesn't. Just because they have a podcast, you don't have to listen yeah. to them. Yeah, you don't just have to because... listen to me. It's yeah. just because they have a retreat. That's yeah, but you do it. Okay, and you have to get invited yeah. to. You don't have to listen to them. Yeah, yeah. Make your you own should. Decisions. You should listen to me. 
because you I'm should always listen to job. Bethany Heck. So yeah, always in all every design, yeah, every designer who who presents themselves as being like a thought leader or a badass or something is not like I can promise you that every designer is unhappy with their job. The title that they have <laughs> is bullshit uh, and doesn't actually mean anything. Uh, none of us are any better off than anybody else. Uh, and and like in terms of design talent, it's all subjective anyway. So, but let's um, fight with each other about how many fonts and to use and whether we put a logo in it or not. Man. Yeah, it's you should don't like <laughs> don't make people your idols uh, and um, don't ever assume that like somebody else's whether it's because of you're jealous of that person or you admire that person like that person is probably super fucked up uh, in their own way and uh, don't you know it's that nobody's nobody's any better than anybody else. We're all just trying our best to get through this shitty world. <laughs> the best we can I'm, and if we can do it with each other it's even better i'm gonna transcribe this episode and just wallpaper my basement with it because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's this is good stuff i, I think go well, ahead. Well, just one more quick kind of follow-up question this is a question from me um it's a follow-up question for chris's um on that note of sort of using historically successful design and reviving it for modern day use. Uh, it's kind of a loaded question, but um, what are your thoughts on that? And do you recommend looking at history for answers or do you recommend looking at, you know, modern day trends and designers that we aspire to emulate? Sure. Um, I, I mean, obviously, in my aesthetic is very like vintage inspired, um, and I enjoy looking at things that existed before. They're probably for context is like totally impractical now. Whether like even just the idea of like there's printed shit like isn't really a thing anymore. <laughs> like there's less and less printed material. God, don't remind us. Uh, there, you know. Uh, but sort of like looking at something out of context and. Uh, trying to find the things about it formally that I think are interesting um, and reworking that for whatever use I need it for uh, right now. Um, now, just again, the sort of rote copying of just like looking at something and, and copying it exactly using the same typefaces, um, swapping in your text uh, and calling it a day, like maybe that's, you know, there are some cases where that might be acceptable if you're talking about satire or certain types of, I mean, there are certain instances where that might be okay. But um, I enjoy that sort of like, that idea of like looking at something that pro that is a piece of design, it probably was not made by anybody with formal design experience mm -hmm. and, and looking at it as somebody who does, you know, as somebody who's, who's practicing it now and thinking like, okay, like, what did this person, you know, what did this, this thing get right like why is it interesting to me um and can i can i reuse this like label from a soda can from you know the 1930s and um you know rethink think of some way to to give to adapt it and give it new life now yeah. Yeah. Um, which is i mean like <laughs> that apple even does that like to an extent with how like the fact that everything good thing that Johnny Ive has ever designed was done by Braun first. Like he's, he's taking yeah. old Braun like industrial design stuff and he's, yep. he's redoing it for, yep. you know, modern 
modern stuff and there's nothing wrong with that that's 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 really beautiful like that's it's some of the best like industrial design like that's been done uh recently uh is a reinterpretation of something that was done like a long time ago for like something very different but you know he saw like a similar like form factor or a similar similar like value like oh the the shape of this like could be the shape of a phone or it could be the shape of a desktop you know it's you know he's he was able to make those those correlations um and so i like i'm interested in in trying to do that on a much like less grand scale uh in my uh in my own work and i think that if you do it that way where you're you're not looking to just like routinely copy it that's how you make the future um i don't know if there's many concepts that haven't already been touched on uh in design so in most part like anything you're doing is going to have some sort of historic influence so um i think that a lot of people like stress out about trying to do something that's never been done before and i'm not sure that that's a attainable goal uh Beautiful. Um, I, I, I asked that looking at your presentation, and I don't know if you mind us putting this one particular part in the show notes, but you took an East Campus Redmond c and &E, um, I don't know if it's like a ceramic mark, and <laughs> sort of added your own flavor, used it, and you have the process mapped out where you used it as inspiration to create something completely new. And I think this is an amazing example of how to use something historical and sort of rewrap it and be inspired by it and, and create your own original work. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's really great. I thought that we were going to get another Apple jab on this episode, but, but we didn't. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Um, Zach, uh, do you have anything else in particular? Oh man. Um, can we make this a two-hour episode? Yeah, let's go. Can, let's keep going. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. That's why I was like, I could just keep going forever and ever. <laughs> what do y'all want um, to talk about next? Let's just go down your list of topics. Let's cover I want to get more into this, into the click thing that you talked about, because it it bummed me out and it was super intriguing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, how like designers are awful and have clicks and and very exclusionary yeah well it was the ex like you know left out a um since most of your visible work on dribble and everything is graphic you're left out of a lot of tech and product stuff uh it left out of sports because you're a woman um feel like you don't fit in with most of the type crowd because you don't design typefaces from the south so you get treated like a sideshow and just um I like design conferences um, for the same reason Daniel said last week was just a time to be with my own, be with bounce off idea, bounce ideas off of people, grab a beer with somebody, eat a slice of pizza, just hang out. But God damn it. If clicks don't <laughs> ruin the whole thing. And it's so, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe we can get into the bummed out thing and it's just part of human nature that we just can't avoid. But it's it's the same fucking groups as it was in high school, as it was in middle school, as it is in college, at work. You got your cool kids. Yeah, I, th I thought that, the, yeah, I thought that like we as, you know, designers could find solace in the fact that we 
you know, a great majority of us were the weirdos in high school. No, we make up we yeah. make up other shit. Like, oh no, you don't use minimal design. You're into brutalism. Yeah, what's up into... with that? It's just like this. Yeah, like trend okay. bullying. I don't. I use hobo in design for city luck, the fortune cookie thing, and it, it's funny. It's true, but God, I, I I actually like that font. James did a really good job with it. He he killed it, and I used it for an aesthetic purpose. It no other font felt right, and everybody pretended to go along with it. But uh, it there was little slides and little pokes and little just you know death by a thousand cuts. Is this? Let me use the font that I want to use. This is the best font for it. You know, Daniel made the mark, but the brand is mine. And I talked to talked with you about it, and that's where we're going with it. You know what I mean? So it's just okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we won't get into so much other, you know, we've got maybe 30 years left on this planet before we all drown from ice melting. <laughs> Fight, fighting with me about that is not a good use of time. <laughs> I've got two kids that grow up way faster. You know, the whole adage of the days are short, the weeks or the years are long is so wait, reverse that the days are long. The years are short. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch my kids grow up. I want to play baseball. I don't care what website you use for your portfolio. <laughs> yeah, it's sorry. Designers have a lot of opinions, and I, I okay. So for starters, about the click thing, like I also need to qualify everything that I say with that I'm white. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, there are a lot of people who have a lot harder time that are like big systematic problems that go way beyond like the comparatively small things that I deal with um, when I'm uh, at groups and I'm also sure. super opinionated about everything. Um, so I don't really have a right to call anybody out for being opinionated, but um, <laughs> designers do uh, often, they do have a very nasty habit of being horrible to each other. Um, I've noticed like it's very, it's very rarely that I see something get shared uh, in a design group that sort of like comes from outside that group that the reaction is positive. Um, uh, it's usually, and it's, I think it goes back to that whole competitive, like everybody's it's, it's kind of like I knew I, I had classmates in school where they would almost root for other people. They would be relieved when their other classmates who they perceived to be good designers would put something up on the wall that they didn't think was good. They'd be like, Oh, that means that mine's better because this yeah. other person that I'm comparing it to did a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's just a bad way. And, and I mean, there yeah. are people outside of design that live their life that way too, but I think more designers are like that than probably any other group of people I'm aware of. Um, and it's, really fucking awful like um just uh this this idea that like oh we we just root for other people to fail um so we can feel a little bit better about ourselves like um and you know we get jealous of of people who get other opportunities that we want or we think that somebody else is able to advance in their career faster or you know they they're getting opportunities that we feel like we deserve and all this other kind of stuff which just goes back to like what i said earlier which is just like nobody is as well off as you think they are yeah. everybody's bullshitting and stunting um <laughs> like we're all like <laughs> i could go through a lot of a lot of shitty things that have happened to me and mistakes that i've made um we could fill more than another hour 
just me ranting about that kind of stuff and and giving you guys some like real real talk inside of of like how not perfect I am um but um yeah it's um there's also but yeah design twitter is toxic and awful and even the people who are do who are on design twitter who are advocating for good things I feel like uh, like don't necessarily reflect that in their uh in their own practices i see a lot of people who are who are advocating for uh diversity and uh you know equality in a lot of ways that when i look at the structure of their teams i'm not seeing it um yeah so it's everybody's a hypocrite <laughs> yeah i was even going to like call out a part of design twitter that i've been a part of in the call out culture you know somebody rips somebody off and everybody destroys that person without any kind of and sometimes that's it feels like it's okay i don't know where that line is but sometimes you're destroying that kid who doesn't know any better yeah yeah and you're potentially like yeah putting them out of an industry that they have a great interest in i mean all of us every single designer started out by emulating work that they loved emulating work that they adored that's how you start out now, whether you make that public and say it's original content or not is a different story, but... And there is a difference between turning around and selling someone else's design. Absolutely. That's not what I'm talking yes. about. Yeah. That's totally yeah. different. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and there's little room for coincidences. Sure, they happen, but I, I kind of know like some of these things you're referring to and some of the ripoffs that I've seen are just that. Like they're, they're ripoffs um, and they're passing it off as like client work, but... You know, I've been there, like I've been in a position where I've definitely wanted to learn a new style. So I did something in a style that I've seen and, you know, practiced it's, it's practice, which is what we should all be doing. If we want to even capture a glimpse of improving on our craft and creating something new and that we can call our own, can't just jump into illustrator, use one artboard, <laughs> do a one-off and call it successful no 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 maybe sometimes that works but for me i know i've got like it's like a fucking planet on the outer fringes of the universe cratered with these options that i didn't go with and just you know there, there there's tons of debris and you never see the debris when you see someone's finished work that's that's beautiful um and they have it they have it they have those struggles yeah, and I've I've definitely been guilty of overreacting to, to people um, ripping off my work, and it's something that I try to be more measured about now. Um, we'll see next time it happens if I'm so measured. <laughs> um, there's and it, it's hard to avoid that reaction because it's like it's very um, you know if y'all have ever had this happen, which you probably have, it, it almost feels like you've been stolen from. Uh, yeah. It's very violating, um, but you do have to. Like, and you know, that's something I have to try to remind myself if I'm being good and being self-aware and not being re reactionary, um, oh. that, that, that just like Daniel said, yeah. like we've all learned from imitating somebody else at some point. Uh, and you know, so long as it's not a situation where somebody's like selling your work, um, if it's just, well, one, if it's just on dribble, it's just on dribble and like take a chill pill because it's dribble. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I sell stuff online, digital products, textures, brushes, stuff like that. Um, one thing I didn't realize before I put it on there, and it was really foolish of me not to, 
you put a digital product on the internet, it'll be on a pirate site in two days. And, you know, if, if anybody wants to download illegally any of the stuff that I sell, <laughs> you can find it on like 30 different sites, but come give me eight bucks. It, it won't kill you. And my kids can get <laughs> chocolate milk. But uh, I was thinking, you know, we this will probably make more people mad than Daniel's religious joke earlier, but we're all nerds and <laughs> being nerds comes with a certain level of um, bullying growing up. At least it did in the 80s and the 90s. I don't know what you jackasses that were born in the 90s and 2000s are up to, but bullying used to be a problem <laughs> and we've turned around and become our own worst bullies in so many ways. Yeah. And it just, it really saw, you know, how much better work could be done. And again, everything that we're saying, we're saying with a mirror, this is, we've been, uh, I'm not going to speak for Bethany, but I will speak for Daniel. We've been part of the things that we're complaining about and trying to be better about it. But this is, you know, just be cool with each other. Everybody's just doing their best. I hope some people are not. <laughs> it, 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 right. Admittedly, I've, <laughs> I've stirred the pot uh, a lot. Actually, in the past, I stopped. Um, I like drama. I'm what my fiance likes to call a drama lord. Um, if if I can start <laughs> it or be an audience member to it, I I will. Um, I used to go on dribble and like, I would see some potential tension between two comments and I, I, I'd stir it up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were one of those, you know, and I don't do it anymore because I kind of saw like, what am I doing? Cause you got caught and they well, kicked it's, you up. It's just like in between two cups of coffee and I'm a little bored and it's just like this five minute interval where I need to entertain myself and whatever, whatever. Uh, if that's the extent of my evil, Zachary, then I think I'm doing pretty good. I don't like. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I. I hate drama, um, <laughs> and designers just sort of like love it. It's like the slop that they just, you know, they just bounce around in it, and I hate it. But I say that, and I like full disclosure. Uh, I definitely called out somebody who wants to consider themselves a um, a thought and design leader over like an instance where I thought that they were being very harmful to a segment of the population, uh, and it uh, because of that started drama. So I don't. I also don't want to say like you should never say anything to anybody about anything, and you should just let people be because like a lot of times the people who misbehave like that do say like, man, you just need to you just need to have good vibes. There need to be good vibes. Everything's cool. It's like well, everything's not always cool. Um, okay, let me yeah. maybe I need to reiterate my position a little bit, be a little clearer, because I don't want to stir up pointless drama. I am quickly becoming a curmudgeon and a grumpy old man. And will quickly call someone on their bullshit. I'm not afraid to do that. I think we need more of that. I'm talking more of the petty, pointless shit that doesn't help anybody. Just because you don't like what somebody's aesthetic looks like, you don't need to fight with them and tell other people not to do them. But if someone is harming the community and doing, not just the community, any kind of damage to a nest, you know, somebody that doesn't need that 
I'm rambling now. This is the point of the show, rambling. What am I? Who no, cares? It's, I'm not yeah. going to apologize for rambling. No. You know, try to be cool to people, and if you need to call them out, do it. And, and I think, like, <laughs> Bethany, I, I think I know exactly the situation that you're talking about, um, you're referring to, and I think that there are people that, whether they're cognizant of it or not, like they can be some sort of thought leader or some sort of, you know, paragon of design that others seek to emulate. But, you know, posting um, an inspiration board or something and having like certain imagery associated with it, it's, it, I think it takes somebody to step up and be like, that's not cool. And, you know, whether that person's you or it's somebody else, I think somebody needs to do it because somebody needs to say, like, this is not an okay example for you to set for other designers. This is not, you know, you can't objectify women or you can't, you know, be this or that. Um, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, like, none of us are have any, like, malice. We're not doing anything for the sake of being evil, but I think that there are slip-ups every once in a while. And once you publicize yourself so much and you amass such a following that your every move is sort of it's it's seen and it's scrutinized and people i don't know people people see what you do more people see what you do than like the 800 or 200 followers you had you know five years ago um yeah people just need to i guess monitor themselves a little better yeah i mean i think that a lot of people the internet has put a lot of people into like levels of celebrity that you know most people very few people in the past ever achieved um and so there are a lot of people who are going through some really difficult like learning periods of like the sort of consequences of having that platform yeah yeah which is i don't know i i'm the type of person who goes to, to twitter to make stupid jokes and like ridiculous like i'll see somebody sneeze and fart in the same time at a coffee shop and i just want people to know that that i saw that i want people to know it it's not me like pontificating about some sort of design nirvana that i've achieved like i but that's me people are different like I was getting ready to delete my Twitter account and then Bethany started following me. So now I'm good again. <laughs> I'm really bad at Twitter. I don't, no, I don't that, think I ever say anything interesting. Uh, you posted a picture of your dog. Done. That's not mine. It's my oh, friends. It's, go steal that dog. So I can I click on follow. Okay. All right. Go. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think Twitter is good for designers to like, you know, talk a lot and bounce ideas and stuff off each other, which I think is what dribble was initially for. And now, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. Did you intentionally unfollow someone just to get your follower count off of six, 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 or did that just happen? I didn't do that. Okay. No, Bethany oh. following six sixty five. Oh no, <laughs> I don't pay attention to that. Just go add one more person and then never follow anyone ever again. Sorry, Daniel back to dribble. I can't remember. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, you know, to use a sports analogy, I, I thought that like the dribble comment section was to be more like a locker room scenario where you could speak candidly. Terrible, terrible example. Think of another example. Uh, like locker a, rooms are not a safe 
put in this in this current uh, administration. We can't talk about locker rooms. We're talking about bullies, Daniel. Come on. Oh man, I don't I don't know all these. Panera. I thought dribble comment sections were supposed to be like Panera. It's like the line that you ran at Panera. Get picking there you go. your Keep going. your two for two combo. <laughs> um, please sponsor us. But like people. It's, it's very like pat on the back now, like yep. that comment section is only reserved to say, awesome, good job, righteous, neato. And it's not used to give critical feedback, which is something that personally, like I go to for, and I feel like I have to make an effort to be like, hey, uh, give me critical feedback seriously. And then people don't do it. So then I go to Twitter and then people give me that feedback on Twitter, yeah. like the same people I interact with on dribble and they don't understand <laughs> it. Like I have to use Twitter now for what I originally started using dribble for. Yeah. I mean, I think that I know dribble definitely original was originally supposed to be like, here's snippets of what I'm working on. Yeah. Even though they say that, that it was for like critique, I don't ever think that because of the size restriction, it was ever really meant for that. Um, and it's also like, it was very clearly like basically a, a portfolio platform for, from the beginning, which means that you don't want anything remotely negative, uh, associated with the work. Um, and I do think that designers need a place like that. And I think that people have tried to make things like that and it's just, it's hard even like, okay, so, um, I'm going to call out somebody right now. Um, there are sites that are are for the the design critique of certain things like the under consideration sites like brand new that because of the tone of the articles uh, that are set have created in my mind the hostile version of a locker room atmosphere or it basically mm -hmm. feels like a bunch of you know faceless designers like the sort of like snippy comments that they make like at a bar after work uh, about everything that gets made like it's never good enough like you know, it's just like, oh, look, like the articles are written like, oh, there's my zinger about that thing, you know, <laughs> you know, throwing stones from glass houses, etc. Um, and uh, it's not cool. Um, and so I, I do think that we've like the design community has had a really hard time of figuring out like the right balance between those two types of environments, one that is like, very critical and overly negative and again just like reeks of like oh i don't feel like i'm good enough so i'm gonna tear down somebody else um <laughs> that's just freaking exhausting if you're that insecure in like what you're doing like please go find something that makes you feel like somewhat of a confident person instead of like turning your insecurities uh and lashing out at everybody else yeah. um mm -hmm. And the, the, you know, dribble, which even you can post on dribble and even ask for feedback on things and you're not going to get it. And I, and, and because of that, like when I tend to get, when, if I ever get like unsolicited feedback on dribble, I just sort of like laugh and ignore it most of the time because it's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, that's, that's the type of platform that it's turned into. So it's, it's almost like, um, yeah, the feedback is, is a rarity and it's like taboo. Um, which is sad and entertaining at the same time. But I try to make a conscious effort, whether someone asks for it or not. Like I'm going to, if there's something that I would do, of course, I'm kind of like, I'll put my two cents in anywhere, even when it's not asked for just a bad habit, I guess. But I don't I, know if it's a bad habit, but um, I definitely ignore all unsolicited feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me so that's the the asshole side of me. I guess I'm not that humble. It's working for you though. 
it's 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 working for you though. I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing at all. Um, it's just there in a lot of cases there are very few instances where I at least if I'm posting something if I, if something's in a state where I feel like I can post it then I must feel like it's it's in a pretty good state and um, there just aren't a lot of like if I'm thinking about like the work that I'm that I do that I show there just aren't a lot of areas where I feel like another voice is necessarily it, it definitely that stage is useful like you don't, you don't like somebody doesn't like that. I use AppRQ in a design. Like, I don't care. Like what, like, why should I care about what you think of the typeface that I chose? Like <laughs> I could, if I wanted to go full asshole, then I could like start listing out my credentials about why I'm more qualified to choose a typeface than that person. Um, <laughs> That's what we need on dribble bios. Now we need like <laughs> accreditation or certification uh, panel there. <laughs> If someone gave, because what you just said was not constructive criticism, I feel like if someone gave you constructive criticism, you'd at least acknowledge it. Yeah. But for them to say, I don't like that font, that's not constructive. That's just stupid. No, and I even tried, I remember like trying to like guide this person into giving me constructive criticism. Like, okay, like let's talk about. <laughs> I felt like I was a te- like I I was a teacher. It's like okay, let's talk about what you don't like about it. It's like okay, and then she like there were some reasons. It's like okay, like here are the reasons why you know I I chose it, and you've got your reasons for not. And it was like okay, that's fine. Like we have different opinions, and like some people just don't want to let stuff go. And so like it, it it could never be like an okay like like she was not going to be satisfied until I said that I agreed with her. And eventually, yeah. I think I had to like. She, she, some, eventually it it strung out so long that other people jumped in to like, sort of like back me up. And, um, then, then it got like real personal and nasty and I had to like, you know, I had to like block people and like shut stuff down. It was just like, oh my gosh, it's a typeface for a branding project that is like, it's like, does this like, I don't know. People get real intense about really silly things, even on dribble. (laughs) Oh my God. But um, it's, I mean, the more you practice design, the more you realize that there's thousands of ways of skinning cats. Sorry, Daniel. Um, and, um, <laughs> you, you know, you can, you learn to like take even constructive, you know, you learn, you need to take the constructive feedback and realize like, okay, like maybe it's being able to take the constructive feedback and realize like you didn't like fail because somebody's pointed out like a valid like thing that you could have done better or you could have done differently it's just that they would have approached it in a different way and maybe that is you know better and maybe it's not even you know everything is there's there are very few absolutes in design yeah there's a difference between a typo or like a really bad kern and whether you should have used a two pixel line versus a three pixel line like there's a huge (laughs) difference there um but you yeah, know, pretty much the only uh, like very like fundamental thing that I will always call out as being a mistake is people not hanging their punctuation. <laughs> if you don't hang your fucking double quotes, I'm going to say something and probably oh, in a yeah. dickish way. <laughs> and you're the like, authority on that, so I think you you can do that. You can and do the, that. the thing that I the thing that I adopted from my father, who's a graphic design professor, uh, that I try not to say, but I always want to say it because it's a good line. Is whenever there's like paragraphs of of text that's centered, uh, he'll he'll he would lean over to student's shoulder and say, "Secretary, center their type," and walk away. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Which oh, is good. is awful because it's demeaning to secretaries. Sure, uh, but um, it's. 
It's a funny line. God. Does your dad still, is, is he still a graphic design professor? Yes, he is. Do you ever send him anything for like feedback no. or anything like that? No, he never gave me <laughs> feedback. When I was, he's never given me feedback. That's probably good. That's probably a good thing. You know? He's very hands off. Do you guys ever talk like design at Thanksgiving dinner and, no. and things like that? No. No. <laughs> no. You've got Diane Gibbs for that, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. I, I, if I'm going to Diane, I'm going to her for life stuff. And I, uh, I have a professor at Auburn who's uh, like the Lorelai Gilmore to my Rory Gilmore. Uh, she's like my second mother, uh, and so if I, it, she's the person who I go to uh, for design stuff usually and life stuff and anything else. I don't even watch Gilmore Girls, and I realize how high of a compliment that is. Yeah, I want one of those. <laughs> Damn, she's pretty amazing. Yeah, I need to shop around. Maybe I can like get it, go on TaskRabbit or something, and like find a mentor. Fiverr, um, you can find one on Fiverr. Yeah, I bet. God, it's one thing I've always wanted is like a mentor typers. I've never had one. I mean, I'm 29 now. I. It's hard. I don't know. You know, I was thinking about that the other day. That outside of Sam, I don't know if, like, if I didn't have still have her, I don't know if there'd be anybody who I was comfortable enough. Who I respected enough and that that like knew me enough, like that I had enough of a relationship to to, you know, right. have that that sort of of guidance. Yeah, um, like that personal relationship has to be there. I feel in order for that mentorship to work out, you can't just go to someone who you admire and be like, "Teach me your ways, <laughs> master." Really? Because I get emails like that all the time. What do you think this <laughs> podcast is, Daniel? Oh right, I, but I I I like that like the mentoring side of 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 everything. Like if if somebody like those are the emails that I always try to answer. I mm. I'm very bad about responding to like freelance requests and things like that. But if like a young designer or student or something is emailing me asking me for live perspective on something or like I love I love those. I like building those relationships. Um, and I. I can't speak for everybody. I know that if anybody ever emails me asking me questions, like I'm going to do everything I can to answer. And I think that there are a lot of other designers who would do that too. Um, I do think that like as designers, we need to be better about like taking care of, you know, the people below the, the younger designers, the up and coming, yeah. you know, following generation. Cause uh, I don't know if the generation before us has necessarily done that. <laughs> but yeah. I will say this students, if you're listening if you email a design professional or creative professional, don't tell them that your professor made you do it. Don't lead off with that. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> and also, if they email you back, write back. I remember somebody emailed me asking me about a specific piece that I had done. And they were asking me, There, it was it was a card and it had a bunch of subdivisions. It was like a form type design um, for the Hiveworks stuff that I did for IBM. And um I, I like to answer her question. I even went in and like, I removed the lines and I was like, see how the, the lines are like making these sub compositions within the page. And if it's not there, like all these different elements start to feel floaty and disconnected and you know, you lose the structure of the piece. Like I spent a lot of time like replying to this person and they mm -hmm. never responded. Oh no. <laughs> I was like, well, that makes me not want to ever respond to a student ever again. So please <sighs> like if, if, if you're asking for somebody's time and they give it back, uh, you should at least do the courtesy of like a one word, like thanks response. Yeah. I've had that happen several times uh, with younger designers who, who want like advice or they, they like have questions or something. And I, I write and they don't write back. Um, 
which is just sort of like a people like don't like you should respond to everybody that way you, you should like your classmates like your peers like the people who you respect yeah. like right, right back <laughs> yeah that's it's kind of just like basic human <laughs> it's just yeah. basic cur- courtesy courtesy yeah <laughs> god <laughs> yeah that's it's busy being it's hard being a design student i remember how stressed i was i get like these you know full body migraines is the only way i know to describe them and just like pass out and wake up and realize like oh i've been lying on the floor of the studio for the past two hours <laughs> like yeah it was it's stressful i understand but if you can help it you know be cool to people that's it that's that's the moral of this episode yeah pretty good life lesson just in general <laughs> Be cool with people. Be cool. Man. Um, Bethany, thank you for coming on, for um, hanging out with us, for sharing your wisdom and self-deprecating humor. It's been great. You should start drinking soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> great advice. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Thanks Bye. for time. Later. Bye. Thanks for joining us today and getting all the way through that conversation with Bethany. It was a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground. You may want to go back and listen to it again when you get some time, break it down a little bit. I think it really comes down to be cool to people and And don't worry if you're going for minimalism or complexity, just put what is essential and don't hold back. Yeah. Do what you feel is right and don't use someone else's success to influence your own design. We're all swimming through this together. Uh, minimal is no better than something that's heavily ornamented. It, it doesn't matter. You do you and the rest will unfold. So, Daniel, I'll talk to you in two weeks. Yeah. Sound two weeks, good? two and a half. I think we can do that. Uh you can find Bethany Heck online at Ephus League. Ephus League? Ephus. E- Ephus. Yeah. Epis? E- Ephus League e- on Twitter. Us. At E-E-P-H-U-S League. On Twitter, Instagram, and on Dribble. I think. It's just just look up Bethany Heck on Google. You'll find her. That's the it's all thing. amazing stuff. Yeah. Just go stand outside, yell Bethany Heck, and eventually the universe will reveal to you the genius that is her work. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, wherever else you want to look as ZS Wilkinson. And you can find me wherever you want to look for me, uh, either at the produce aisle at your local supermarket or at Heresy um, on the social stuffs. Uh, also want to thank Vincent Parham for his sick, sickety sick tracks uh, that he supplied to us for our intro and outro music. Thanks, Vincent. You're my little man. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you guys in two weeks. But remember, the fonts are not what they seem. Mm-hmm.